Look, we started chapter 13, yes? Remember that? And we, we, we spoke about how the statement of the sages that for a Bainani, they're judged both by their good and evil inclinations, that highlights what we learned in chapter 12, that a Bainani on the one hand is not controlled at all by their evil inclination. They never sin. But on the other hand, they still experience the manifestation of their animal soul in their life. They still feel the desire specifically after davening, after prayer. Yes? And we spoke about how the desires of the animal soul are first experienced in the left side of the heart. They rise up to the brain. Um, and at that point, the godly soul objects. And it's like two judges. And then Hashem needs to come and reconcile, right? Be the arbiter between them. Yep. Okay, so then I said there's a lot of like interesting little details in this section that I want to address. Okay, um, the first thing is, oh, sorry, and we also spoke about that Hashem doesn't help everybody. He only helps if you try to bear the burden yourself, right? Based on the principle that you only help someone load their donkey if they are doing it themselves. Um, and also that the necessity of being a human being and making decisions about your behavior rather than just um, going with the flow. Right? That a person who does not live life in a deliberate manner, obviously, cannot be making decisions about what they do. Okay. Now, previously in chapter 12, the altar had written the following. The Altaba wrote, Moreover, even in the mind alone, insofar as sinful thoughts are concerned, evil has no power to compel the mind's volition to entertain willingly, God forbid, any wicked thought rising of its own accord from the brain to the heart to the brain, as discussed above. No sooner does it reach there than he thrusts it out with both hands and averts his mind from at the instant he reminds himself that it is an evil thought, refusing to accept it willingly, even to let his thoughts plan it willingly. How much more so to entertain an idea of putting into effect, God forbid, or even into words. So what do we describe the Bainani as? That the minute that thought even occurs to the person's mind, it's thrust out with two hands. What, and what did it mean thrust out away with two hands? Do you remember that? Two and not one. What? With two and not one. Because right. Two and not one. Two and not one. What? There's an example. I forgot. Right. With, uh, Right. So what would be pushing away with one hand? We'd be thinking about how bad it is. Pushing away with two hands would be averting your mind completely to something else. And so they don't even continue to um, think it, much less entertain putting it into action. Okay, now let's look at what we have here. Um, third paragraph. Sorry, fourth paragraph. Similarly, the evil nature states its opinion in the left part of the heart which thence ascends to the brain for contemplation. Immediately is challenged by the second judge, the divine soul in the brain, extending the right part of the heart, the abode of the good nature. The final verdict comes from the arbiter, the Holy One, blessed be he, who comes to the aid of the good nature. Does that sound like the same description we just had? No. In the first description, what happened? The, the thought arises to the brain, and it's like a wave crashing on a cliff, right? The wave comes... It has no impact. The brain is immune. The brain was resistant. 
Here, what is it saying? Rises up to the brain. The other godly soul objects. And then God needs to come in and assist. Right? So there appears to be an inconsistency in the description. Right? Also, if you remember, previously we mentioned the power of the mind ruling the heart. Yes? Did you see any description of the mind ruling the heart here? In fact, this doesn't sound like the mind ruling the heart at all, right? If the mind was ruling the heart, we wouldn't need Hashem's assistance. From this observation, the Rebbe concludes that this description of the Bainini is not describing the same thing that we were describing in chapter 12. Although on a conceptual level, it still fits within the framework of the Bainini, it's not the same thing. This is a person who feels conflicted. The entire discussion, chapter 12, that person never felt conflicted. They felt desired, but they never felt conflicted. There was never any real um, thought or consideration given to acting in a way that's inconsistent with the godly soul, even when the desires of the animal soul were felt after prayer. Whereas here, this person actually feels this conflict and requires special assistance. So why would it be? Why is this person being described in chapter 13, experiencing the conflict between the godly soul and animal soul differently than the person in chapter 12. Again, the person in chapter 12 is not really, is not really experiencing an inner conflict. Right? They're not really um, susp- um, subject to the possibility of sinning. Right? Immediately, as soon as the evil of the animal soul rises to their mind, it's rejected, right? and they never entertain it. Whereas here, this person, right, on the one hand, we have the godly soul, on the other hand, we have the animal soul, there's back and forth, and it's only because of the divine assistance that there actually is um, brought to any conclusion towards the side of the godly soul. So why is this person in chapter 13 experiencing an inner turmoil, inner conflict, and the person in chapter 12 is not? It is an edge of being a Bainini. That's correct. We're looking at the lower edge of the Bainini, right? This is the, kind of the boundary of where he's still a Bainini, but it, 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 any, any, any more conflicted, any less than this, then they would already be a Russia, fine. But why are they? Well, what, 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 are, what, what has happened to this person that they're experiencing such conflict? that hasn't happened to the person in chapter 12, or vice versa, what's happened to the person in chapter 12 so that they're not experiencing this degree of conflict. Has he transferred the animal soul? No one transfers. Gabaini never transforms the animal soul. So has a contemplation. Sorry, it says here that it ascends the brain for contemplation. Right. Whereas the other one is not allowing, you know, the contemplation to happen. But why not? Because he's pushing it away with both hands. But why? Not an explanation. <laughs> That's what I'm asking you. Are you. Yes, you've observed that the Baini in chapter 12 seems to be at a higher level than the Baini as, as in the beginning of chapter 13. But why? Does it have something to do with his davening? It has everything to do with his davening. The Baini in chapter 13, the beginning of chapter 13, is not davened. Mm-hmm. What do we say? If we, in chapter, in chapter um, 12, we said it's the impression of the davening of the prayer on the intellect and the hidden love that enable one to prevail and triumph, right? That, the fact that they don't actually contemplate the sin, they don't entertain it, right? 
There's no need for Hashem to come and assist, right? The idea the mind rules over the heart. Remember, the mind rules over the heart only when the mind is clear. That clarity, the clarity about the reality of Hashem, the truth of one's own soul, that, what, that is the remains, that's the after effect of the prayer. But what if the person has not davened? They have not engaged in that kind of prayer. Or they did, but the effect has worn off for whatever reason or another. In other words, does a being a Bainini necessitate the contemplative prayer that we discussed in chapter 12? Or is it possible to be a Bainini even without that quality? And the answer is yes, you could still be a Bainini. But now it's, now it's going to be a partnership. It's you're going to put in some of the effort and Hashem will help assist you. Words, to be a Bainini of your, on your own efforts requires the contemplative prayer. But to be a Bainini without contemplative prayer, a person needs Hashem's assistance. Because what enables a person to be a Bainini solely through their own efforts is the natural characteristic of the mind ruling the heart. But the mind ruling the heart requires that clarity, right? that clear sense that comes through the prayer, that remains after the prayer. Even when the passion and intense emotion has died down, that clarity remains. But if that clarity isn't there, then the person is susceptible, is vulnerable. Okay. Okay. So. But well, we said before that that dominating is one way that someone can be a baby. And now we're learning the another way. But this other way, you'll notice, requires divine intervention. The other one doesn't? No. It's, in other words, in chapter 12, did we ever mention that this idea that Hashem comes to assist the Bainani? No. We said the mind rules the heart, right? By nature. And all the more so that the godliness is like light and Sitrach and Klippa is like darkness and that the godliness resides in the mind. But all that's the effect of the prayer. That All that's the impression of the prayer. If you don't have that in place, it's not going to work. So just, just to think of the following analogy. Um, setting erosion aside. If a wave crashes into a cliff, it's not really a contest, right? The wave is going to break and the cliff will remain. What is the relationship between the godly soul and the animal soul in a baini after they've prayed? The godly soul is like a rock. The animal soul is like the wave. The emotion rises up. They experience, maybe the thought occurs, but it breaks as soon as it faces the clarity, right? The sense of clear vision, this clear sense of, of who I am and who Hashem is that remains to the person after their davening. On the other hand, what does an arm wrestle look like? Well, if someone's stronger than the other person, they win, right? But what if no, no one's really stronger than the other person? Yeah. One time, with uh, I was trying to illustrate a, a, a point. So in the with the the bachram, so I asked for a volunteer to arm wrestle with me, and um, I I chose the the most um, I don't know the most one of the one of the bachram and the kashir with the biggest biceps, the biggest, but all, you know definitely on the upper end. Uh, and I told him that it's very important that he do everything he can to win. Okay, like, don't, don't, don't hold back. So, down, like, do this, right? Right? 
And um, of course, I asked the other Bachram who's going to win. And everyone said, I mean, if, if, if he, this is going to be a real contest, he's going to win. All right, so you ready? And, you know, for the first few seconds, I'm, 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 I can hold out. And like, I'm like, so he's trying to push my arm down like this. And I'm like, and it's going down, it's going down. And then, of course, just I go like that. And using both hands, I push his hand down and win. And he said, I cheated. And I said, no, I said, you should do whatever you need to win. Didn't I say that? <laughs> Is that like the God Hashem coming in? Right. So you have the godly soul. You have the animal soul. And on their own, it's like, you know, there's a, it's, it's not going this, it's not going that way, right? And then what happens? Hashem comes along and pushes down on the side of the godly soul, right? So now I have a question. One second. One second. But that, that only is the case because it was an actual, there's an actual tension, there's actual pressure back and forth. There's this actual conflict. Someone who's prayed doesn't experience that kind of inner conflict for as long as the impression of the prayer lasts. I mean, no, no, no. In other words, it, it, uh, uh, what's very important is to st- stop thinking of bainani as like a, as like a, a as like a, a status. As Alter was going to speak about later on, bainani is, is 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 a way of approaching things. When you're successful, you're successful at it. So, in other words, you can, you know, it's not like you get a special certificate that you're a bainani and then you can go do all the bainani things. It's the reverse. It's like. It's like you get accreditation for being a doctor because you know how to treat people medically, right? Not the other way around. So the altar actually says that, that for the, the, the imprint of prayer to last for even a half a day, is like, that's a pretty good accomplishment. That's not a, but, but eventually it could wear off, right? And not everybody does pray all the time. So, so how does the Baini experience look like? It looks much more like an inner conflict. Right, but it still holds true to the rule that at the end this person will never sin. Okay, now this they will never sin. What we have to do is we have to understand here that the will never sin is that really because of them or because of Hashem? So we said before that they have to do the they put in the effort and Hashem comes and helps, right? Um, and I spoke about like being deliberate and, and stuff like that, but I want to go a little bit deeper. If you look in the text. Um, it says that, let's read the paragraph, the paragraph similarly. The evil nature states his opinion in the left part of the heart, which thence ascends the brain for contemplation. So where is the person experiencing the animal soul? In the heart or in the brain or both? In both. In both, right? There's both the Opinion, meaning the, the, the desire, the experience, right? And then it also ascends the brain where it goes for consideration. Then it's challenged by the second judge, divine soul in the brain, extending to the right part of the heart, the abode of the good nature. So where is the person experiencing their godly soul? Only? Look carefully at the text. Where is the person experiencing the godly soul? It's challenged by the second of divine soul in the brain. You know what are the next words? Extending to the right part of the heart, the abode of the good nature. So where is this person experiencing their godly soul? The brain or the heart or both? 
if your brain is considering both the messages of the godly soul and the animal soul, but your heart is only in one place, are you really conflicted? No. If your brain is absolutely clear on a particular point, but your heart feels pulled in different directions, are you really conflicted? Yes. No. We learn the mind rules the heart. When is it possible for a person to really be conflicted? They're not clear on something. They're not clear on something in their brain and in their, in their, brain and in their heart. So you can be either one. Right. In other words, like this. If your brain is, has two points of view on the matter, but your heart is all in one direction, you're going to just follow your heart. That's an animal. In other words, a person has reduced themselves to the level of an animal simply because the, the heart is not receptive to a conflicted brain. And so if the heart is of, pardon the phrase, one mind on the matter, then a conflicted brain is useless and you'll just get, your emotions will just govern you and like, that's what children look like. You know, little children. Sometimes big children too. On the other hand, if your heart is conflicted, but your mind is clear because the nature of human being is that the mind is receptive to the heart, so, so the heart is receptive to the mind, what will happen, regardless of the initial feeling of conflict in the heart, it will resolve itself along what the person's mind is clear about. So the only time where a person actually is really genuinely in conflict is where the conflict is playing out both in the mind and in the heart. Right. Are you familiar with the eternal problem that all men have? So they're sitting on the couch and they're too tired to go get something to eat, but too hungry to go to sleep. And so, what happens? Sit there. Sit there. <laughs> Sit there and do nothing. Right? Now, this conflict can be resolved in one of two ways. Either the feeling of hunger becomes so dominant that the feeling of getting tired becomes irrelevant, so the, emotion, the, the emotional part goes away. Right? Or it becomes very clear that you need to do one or the other and you just do that one, right? Okay, that's a silly example, but it illustrates the point. Okay. So now let's think about like doing an Avera. Okay. Um, let's say somebody really wants to say Lashon Hara. It's like a good Avera to do, right? Cheeseburgers are so like, you know, cliche. Let's go with something more practical. They have some really juicy things to say about someone, which happen to be true, right? Because if it's not true, it's not really Lashon Hara. And there's really no good reason to tell anybody. Huh. So it really makes it Lashon Hara. Okay? And they feel the desire to say it. And... You know that thing where you just like start looking around like a little hedgehog, like, who can I tell this to? Who would be a willing recipient for my little gossip? Okay, and so you're considering doing it, right? And immediately, what happens? The little voice in your head says, that's Lashon Hara, I'm not supposed to do that. Okay. What usually happens at that point? You're conflicted? You quiet better. What? 
What you were gonna say something? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> At that point, you're usually already saying what happened. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe in a good situation, you're like, not right now. I feel a little too guilty. A little later. It's a, it, no. Okay. Here's the thing. In order to be really conflicted, you just, it's not enough to have the voice say that it's wrong. You have to feel that it's wrong. The same way you feel a desire to say it, you also have to feel a desire to not say it. That make sense? Okay. Now, for this I want to talk about the idea that there's something called the evil inclination and the good inclination. He calls it here the good nature and evil nature, but whatever. Um, and we also have this notion of the godly soul and the animal soul. And there are different ways of explaining this terminology, the godly soul, the animal soul, the, the evil inclination, the good inclination. What I want to point out is if you read the text, it says, it, it, the text is worded in kind of an interesting way. It says, um, the divine soul in the brain extending to the right part of the heart, the abode of the good nature, the abode of the Yitzhah Does that make it sound like they're the same thing or two different things? The godly soul and the good inclination. It sounds like two different things. Sounds like two different things. Where does the good inclination live? In the brain. No. Oh, sorry, in the heart. In the heart. Where does the godly soul? It starts in the heart and extends into, sorry, it starts in the brain and extends into the heart. Okay. And then you'll notice when it talks about how Hashem comes to assistance, the final verdict comes from the arbiter, the Holy One, blessed be he, who comes to the aid of the good nature, as our sages said, if the Holy One, blessed be he did not help him, he could not overcome his evil inclination. It sounds like, what is Hashem's help? Hashem's help is assisting who? The godly soul or the good nature? The good nature. And what does that help look like? The help comes by means of the glow radiated by the divine light which illuminates the? Divine soul. The divine soul. So, it doesn't sound like the divine soul and the good inclination are the same thing, does it? The good inclination lives in the heart. The good inclination needs to be strengthened to fight against the evil inclination, right? And Hashem helps, and what does that help look like? By infusing greater light into the godly soul. This sounds very... Um, very technical and somewhat very confusing. So let's try and let's try and, and, and give some coherent meaning to it. What is the good inclination as opposed to the godly soul? Start there. And what I want to do is focus on the experiential side of it rather than the metaphysical side of it, okay? What does it look like when your godly soul is manifest in your psyche versus your good inclination? What is the difference between those two things? Well... It says that your godly soul, your, your, it says that your, um, 
your good inclination lives in your heart, right? The heart is associated with emotions, okay? Core to emotions are you, the feeling of I want, I desire. So what does your good inclination feel like? What? What? No, the good inclination. It lives in the heart, that's what it says. What does it feel like? It feels like you want. What does the evil inclination feel like? Same thing. Same thing. Right? I want, and I want. Those are two. What does the godly soul feel like? What? Is it what? Sure. Yeah, sure. Feels like oneness with Hashem. Nah, that's way too mystical for us. Like there's something beyond me, maybe? Mm, it doesn't have to be like that. I should? What? I should? No. I should is already like... Nah, Hashem wants. So that's a good question, right? That's a good question. So it's a trick question because the answer is yes and no. And I'll explain to you what I mean. Let's use just a, a, if I'm looking at this safer, right? I'm looking at the book, right? I am aware that I am seeing the safer, right? Right? So there's an awareness that I'm seeing the safer, but but the awareness of the safer is not really me, right? I'm aware of some reality. Does that make sense? Now I can't really be aware of the safer if there's no me there, right? right? So if you're talking, right, and I were to say I hear you, is that an I statement? It is a kind of an I statement, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about myself, right? But what am I saying about myself? That you are hearing. I'm hearing what someone else is saying. Right. Right? As opposed to a statement like, I am angry or I am happy. What kind of statement is that? Feeling something. Right. It's about, right? It's about something of, it's about myself, right? So this is the tricky thing about statements involving awareness. Statements involving awareness are subjective in the sense that someone has to be the one being aware. Someone is hearing the, someone is hearing the other person talk. Someone is seeing the book, right? right? But on the other hand, the whole meaning of that statement is not about the I. It's about... So the I statement for the godly soul would be some I something about Hashem. I'm aware of. I'm aware of. Very good. I'm aware so the Yetzirah feels like I want. The Yetzirah Tov feels like I want. the godly soul feels like I'm aware. I'm aware. It's a very different kind of thing. Now, what about the animal soul? While we're on the topic. Because the animal soul is also not the same thing as the Yetzirah, is it? Is it like I need? No. Nope. So well, it's, it's also I'm aware, right? So the, 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 the 
the animal soul and the godly soul are, are really, if we're going to differentiate them from the inclinations, are much more a sense of I am aware than I, than I desire or I want. Yeah. It's not like something else you like. You, you, you said the godless soul, any also the animal soul, feels like I'm aware. Trick question. Like if you're talking about something feeling like something, that's already in the heart. No. No. Have you... I, I mean, I, I think... First of all, I'm not sure I use the word feel. Um, I think I, I, I... I think what I'm... That everyone's thinking of the godly soul feels like what it feels like to have the godly soul. There is an experience you are having, right? And I think in English, like the word feel can be anything that is experienced. So awareness is experience. So awareness does feel like something, right? Like seeing something feels very different than the lights out and I don't see, right? Understanding feels very different than being confused. It's not feeling in the sense of like desire and emotion. Which, which, which is confusing because we're using, we're using a word to mean similar but different things. I realize that. But, but I don't want to get hung up on the semantics. You know, what I want to be clear is, it is there, it, there is something that it is like to experience awareness, right? Make sense? Okay. Which is different than when it's like to experience desire. So on a very basic level... What does the evil inclination feel like? What is it like to experience your evil inclination? Is to experience some form of? And the good inclination? No. Also desire. And the godly soul would be some kind of an experience of? And the animal soul would also be? Awareness. Okay? Okay. Let's move away from the godly soul and animal soul. Let's just talk about like a very simple observation. If you were aware that you, if you were aware that um, chocolate cheesecake would kill you because you're deadly allergic to dairy, okay? What? I was trying to think of something that is significantly upsetting. Okay. If you were aware of that. Okay. So you could imagine having the following three experiences. A, a desire to live and not to die. B, a desire to eat chocolate cheesecake. And see the awareness that chocolate cheesecake will kill you. Given all three of those experiences, what will happen? If we're assuming we make those experiences fully, right, 100%, what's going to happen? You will not eat the chocolate cheesecake. Right? Make sense? Okay. On the other hand, Let's us say that you are perfectly aware the chocolate cheesecake will kill you. And you really feel a desire to eat the chocolate cheesecake, but you don't feel such a strong desire to live. <laughs> Seeing a problem here? <laughs> what? <laughs> do people do that? 
Yes. Right? Let's also, let's do, let's do another. What if you feel a strong desire to live and a strong desire for chocolate cheesecake, but you are not 100% sold on the idea that the chocolate cheesecake will actually kill you? What? You might, you might eat it. But you might not. You would feel very conflicted. That's right. In other words, your fear of death might outweigh your desire for chocolate cheesecake. Your desire for chocolate cheesecake, right? Some, like for instance, the basic rule would be like this. If you're a man under the age of 24, you're eating the chocolate cheesecake. (laughs) Men under the age of 24 statistically have a very um, low sense of fear of their own death and demise. (laughs) Is it only, it's only men? Yes, it is. That's also why insurance rates for men in driving cars are higher until 24. Yes. Um, yes. No, also, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, 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 there is a statistical difference between men and women in this regard. Um, in, in youth, um, if it's a statistical difference, it's not like a guaranteed difference. But yes. Um, on the other hand, to be fair, it, it could be the reverse because it could be that the, you know, the desire for chocolate cheesecake is so intense that you know. It's like, but it's it's like it's like a, it's like an arm wrestling. Like which desire is stronger? And if the desires are relatively balanced, and the person is not hundred percent clear on whether it's really going to kill them, that the person's going to be very conflicted, right? So, so there's like the desire, and there's the belief behind it. At least one of them, no, or both. Well, the, no, but the thing is, you know, not the. And the belief is not behind. The belief is really about a different issue. The belief is about the reality of something. It's not about your desire. Right? It's like, will the cheesecake kill you or will it not? It's just like, that's a factual question. I mean, if the person is, you know, like a kamikaze pilot and the cheesecake is right there in the plane, the plane has already been set going down. Like, there's no reason not to eat the cheesecake at that point because they're dying anyway, right? So it's like, like you could change the facts of the matter. Desires, awareness of reality. Good? So okay. you're saying that the conflict is between the godly soul and the animal soul, but the Yitzer part is totally like made up for them and that's not conflicted? No, no. I'm, I haven't... In, in this particular example? No, it, it, with uh, this type of bainini. Oh, this type of bainini, everything is going to be conflicted. Oh. Okay. So now, what is the... What is the animal soul aware of? Not desire. Notice how he's going to... Now I'm going to differentiate animal soul from evil inclination, right? And again, I'm not dealing with the metaphysics of it, just the actual experience of it. When you're having an animal soul experience, right? So it's not experienced as desire, because desire would be much more evil inclination. It's awareness. It's awareness of what? What? Well, okay, its own existence is, is not good enough. I mean, yes, it entails an awareness of its own existence, but that's not like... Is it aware of the evil inclination? If I lose $100, is that a big deal? It depends on how much money you have. 
I lose a thousand dollars, is that a big deal? If I lose a million dollars, is that a big deal? If I lose a billion dollars, is that a big deal? What? Probably. Oh, but not necessarily. Not if you're not in check. What? Because <laughs> <laughs> it also depends on if you know. I don't know if this is going anywhere, but you have an awareness that you're going. You're about to make a lot of money. Would matter if you lose it. Or if you don't need the money. Or if you don't need it. Okay, all very fair. I'm I'm very I'm I'm okay. I'm very happy that you consider me so important. But I have a sneaky suspicion it's only in the classroom. Because I have a sneaky suspicion that if I lost a lot of money, you could go on living your life perfectly fine as if it's not a big deal. Right? Now, if I change the question, and I say, what happens if you were to lose a hundred, a thousand, a million, or a billion dollars? Well, we know how much money we have. So we Setting know. aside how much money you have, it's whose money? Yours. It's yours. Well, it's all in perspective of how much money you have. So if you lose a hundred dollars... But that's besides the point. But the perspective is whose money is it and how much money... Right? In other words, if you're trying to figure out how much of a big deal is someone else's loss of money... It's almost always going to count for a lot less. There are people who've lost lots of money and can read about their names. And like, it's fine. And if I lose like, you know, 200 shekels, it's a big deal. The difference being, not about the proportion, the difference being is my money versus not my money. Right? You're right. The, the other factors also matter, but there's a factor we're often usually just oblivious to, which is that we actually judge the value of things in, in, in terms of ourselves. Yeah? There was a chassid. He's still alive, actually. His name was Hill Zaltzman. Hill Zaltzman um, lived in uh, Samarkand in Tashkent. Uh, Samarkand in Uzbekistan. And there was a part of the Soviet Union. And as a, he, you know, as, as a young man, he did some work on the black market to make money because, you know, how do you make money in the Soviet Union? And he started doing pretty well for himself. He was, uh, you know, working in the underground yeshivas and all that kind of stuff in, in Soviet Russia. This is after Stalin, so it was not as bad as when Stalin was around, but it was still pretty bad. And um, he made some money, and he bought himself a nice pair of pants. How much was a nice pair of pants? Like two ruble. I don't know how much two ruble was, but, you know. Nice pair of pants in the Soviet Union, right? It's not like he was getting designer jeans, you know. But he bought himself a nice pair of pants. So there was a chassid named Mendel Futterfass who saw him with these nice pair of pants. And Mendel Futterfass says to him, are you going on Shidduchim? And he said, no. He says, so then what's with the fancy pants? And he says, well, I mean, I'm making a decent amount of money, so I bought myself some nice pants. And Mendel Futterfass says, pants are meant to cover you. To cover you, you only need, a, you only need like, I don't know, a few cupcakes worth of cloth. There are Jews who don't have enough food to eat. Sell the pants, buy pants that are, you know, you know, a few kopecks, and use the rest of the money to like help feed people. Isn't that a more reasonable thing to do? And I think, well, that's easy to tell someone else, right? But that's actually how Rundle Fultavas lives his life. Um, he, he, also worked, he was also a businessman for most of his life. And um, he took a cut of his earnings to support himself. 
the rest of the money went to go support when he was in Russia, the the the, the in Russia, and when he left Russia, also sent the money back to Russia. So he would like make a business deal and take about like one percent just for his own expenses, and the rest would go off to support other people. Is it true that your finances are more important than someone else's? Is that a true? It is not true. But when you are aware of reality, does it seem to be true that your finances are more important than someone else's? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, a judge can sit on the bench and sentence a person to a small prison sentence of, you know, 13 months. That 13 months. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, how do you think that judge would react if they were going to prison for 13 months? What's the difference? It's them. Our awareness of reality is centered around a certain point. And what is that point? Ourselves. Ourselves. So when your animal soul, when you have an awareness of your animal soul, what is the what is the perspective of reality? How is how when you when you're aware of reality, everything's being put in terms of me. It's not just the mere fact that I exist. That's not the, it's the centrality of my existence. So my finances are obviously more significant than your finances. My health is more significant than your health, right? How does it feel to have that challenged? Well, have anyone ever been in the hospital? with what is a serious enough thing to take you to the hospital, but not serious enough to be put in the front line of the triage. And you're really angry and annoyed because like, don't they realize I have a serious medical issue? And there's just like, everyone has a serious medical issue. You're not gonna die if you get seen in four hours. Go sit in the corner and wait. You're like, but I have a serious medical issue. Like everybody, like, (laughs) what's happening is the nurse, right? Because... And now, to be fair, the nurse all, they probably come through perspective of like, I want to keep this place kind of running in a kind of orderly, reasonable way so that I don't have a like, nervous breakdown, right? So they're also coming from their point of view. Right? In other words, awareness, there's not a view from nowhere, in other words. Perspective, awareness of reality is from somewhere. So if I'm hearing what you're saying, right? Oh, oh yeah, I'm hearing what you're saying as I hear it. Not as you're saying it. Hence the problem of miscommunication, right? Right. Now, is that the same thing as desire? It's not the same thing. I mean, there's a relationship between them, but they're not the same thing, right? So I really want the nurse to tell the doctor to come see me now, right? I feel that desire. But there's also awareness. What's the awareness? The awareness is that my medical issue is the most important one. Right? What if you recognize that it's not? If, if you're in a room full of people who also get to the hospital and there are people dying around you, you might realize that you're not discerning. That's right. So that's your godly soul. No, it's not your godly soul. It's not your godly soul. But it, it's a good analogy. But now here's the thing. Do you stop being aware of the first thing? Or now you're aware of two things that are kind of in conflict. On the one hand, you have an awareness that like my medical issue is most important because it affects me. On the other hand, you also have this kind of an awareness that 
you know, on a kind of a societal level awareness, right? Your issue is not the most important. There's other people here, right? And on the one hand, you have a desire that you get seen right away. On the other hand, you have a desire that society function in an equitable, just manner, right? You want both. You have conflicting awarenesses, right? And like, if one is more dominant than the other, then like, you're okay waiting, right? But as time goes on, right, what happens? Right? You're less okay waiting, right? And so it's kind of like that arm wrestling thing, right? This is that one, right? For instance, as time goes on, that second awareness that you mentioned, which requires probably more conscious thought, more maturity, right? Your ability to maintain that gets worn down. And so then the relative balance changes, right? That, that's what it's like. In other words, people, right? People, not talking about godly souls, animals, people have multiple awarenesses, right? We have, a, we have a very selfish individual awareness. We also have a kind of a societal awareness, right? And that societal awareness, we want to be, we, we want there to be justice and we want to be just people. We want to, right? And so it's, you don't want to be the person that cuts in line. You don't want to be the person that, 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 that breaks you know, the, the values and norms of a, of a fair and just society. You don't want to be that person, right? Do you? But you also want to be seen first. Right? So you feel emotionally. On the one hand, you're aware that in some objective sense, your issue is not the most important. On the other hand, you have a very visceral awareness of your issue being more important than everyone else's because you see yours in a way you can't see everyone else's, right? So you're also conflicted on the level of awareness, right? And now it's just, you know, when you're in a more mature, kind of thoughtful state, you can, you know, more, you know, wait your turn in this, and when you're less so, right? And if someone else cuts in line, then already that warps the balance because now you're like, well, if they're gonna cut, then why can't I cut, right? But there's, there's the conflict exists on two levels. The conflict on the level of awareness is a conflict on the level of desire. They're interrelated, but they're not the same thing. Okay? Now, the animal soul's awareness is of what? Perspective of yourself. Yourself. Okay. Now, but yourself here is very broad because yourself does not have to merely be your own little selfish, egotistical self. It could also be yourself in a broader sense. Your community, your society. It just, your, you, the, it's perceiving things from the perspective of the centrality of the human being. In other words, everything is being given a human, a human angle on it. Okay? So we should be clear, that's not necessarily the same thing as like, you know, a narrow egotistical kind of perception. Good? Sure. Okay. What's the godly soul's perception? Awareness from Right, there's awareness from a godly point of view, right? Okay, so simple question. Will... Um, Stealing make your life better. Will it enhance your life? I'm not asking you to desire to steal. I'm asking you to make some questions. Will stealing make your life better? And you have three possible answers, okay? The answer is no. The answer is yes. 
Or the answer is, it depends on the specifics of the circumstance. In other words, you can all conceive of a situation where the cost to your life of stealing are, over, are, are, are outweighed by the benefits. But you could also conceive of the reverse. Yeah? Okay, so is that the godly perspective or the animal perspective? That's the animal perspective. What's the godly perspective? Right. That stealing will never enhance your life. Ever. Okay. Anyone want to care to explain that? How could it be that... But, like, like, I want you to explain each perspective. Like, how could it be that stealing, on one sense, you could say, I could perceive that stealing could enhance my life under the right circumstances. Not always. Plain circumstances well, wouldn't, but it definitely could. And the other perspective, it's impossible for stealing to enhance my life. These cl- the two perspectives aren't the same. What's different about these perspectives? The first one is, is you, not necessarily your ego, but your community, where you are. If you have no food and you have no money, then stealing bread is definitely going to help your life and help Yeah, but you hadn't told me why. What do you mean? Like, like, I asked the question, will stealing enhance my life, right? So, like, I can understand that by stealing, I'll have more money. Or I will have more goods. Money getting me to goods or services. And having more goods or services generally is a life-enhancing thing, right? There are costs to stealing, right? There's the cost of getting punished, right? There's the cost to a sense, sense of integrity, right? There's the cost to break down of society, right? All those costs, so it's a question of the goods and services I'm gaining, which are life-enhancing, weighed against the punishment, you know, loss of personal integrity and societal breakdown, right? And we can weigh those things. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Explain to me why, in the godly perspective, stealing is just not going to enhance my life at all. One thing brings you closer to God. One thing takes you further away. And if the godly perspective only accounts for what's going to bring you closer to God... Okay, good. I want to take the last thing you said and start from that. What's life? And is life enhanced by goods and services? From the godly perspective, is life the kind of thing that's enhanced by goods and services? So having more money cannot enhance your life. Period. On the other hand, what does enhance life? Closeness to Hashem. Okay. What, therefore, Biden's definition goes against that is separation from Hashem. Is stealing separating you from Hashem? Okay, so the act is inherently separating from Hashem, and it has no benefit. But that's because we've, we've defined life as what? As a different thing than the animal souls defined life as. From the animal soul's perspective, life is the kind of thing that is enhanced by goods and services, but also threatened by punishment, right? Uh, pangs of guilt and loss of integrity and social breakdown. So it's a question of weighing those two things against each other, right? But for the godly soul, life is the kind of thing that is enhanced only by closeness to Hashem, threatened only by separation from Hashem. And stealing, what, the only thing it can enhance is having more goods and services, and it can never bring you closer to Hashem because it is an act of separation from Hashem. 
So you know, like, like there's two fundamentally different perspectives about like the basic notion of what. It's not just oh Hashem said yes, Hashem said no. From the perspective of the godly soul, it's like a non-issue. Obviously, stealing. You're you're not gaining anything by stealing. That the godly perspective would be would say that it's even worth considering. Yeah. Awareness of? What's the difference in life and what's the difference of life versus reality? Because if we're talking about awareness of reality from a godly perspective, then we can see that there's nothing else besides that's true reality. Well, okay, so so to that there are many levels of godly reality. That's why I know it's, I'm not I'm not going to the highest level of godly reality. That's not that's not really relevant to our purpose. Our purpose is just whether it's the godly soul or the animal soul. There are many many layers and levels of godly reality. So there are layers in sense where there's nothing nothing exists other than Hashem, and then there's other layers where things do exist other than Hashem. I don't want to I don't want to address that particular point. That's not the key. The key difference is. The key difference is that part of reality is things have value to them. The things have weight to them. Things, things, things um, matter to various degrees. Right? To the godly perspective, the only thing that the only, is everything being in terms of God. What's real about something is the way it's oriented towards God. What's good about things is their closeness to God. What's bad about things is their distance from God, and that's it. Now, you could take that to very lofty extremes and everything's unified with God and there's nothing other than God, and fine. You could talk about very low levels. It doesn't really matter. Like, just, like, you can, in any, in any perspective of something, you can have a deeper sense of it, you can have a shallower sense of it. The animal perspective is that the human being is at the center of that instead of God. That's like the only shift. Now, there is a difference between the animal soul and the godly soul's perspective, which is one is true and one is false. And is it true that, is the, is the human perspective true? That like what, what affects a human being is of more value and what doesn't affect a human being is less value because of the centrality of a human being? Is that the, is that the real objective nature of reality? No. Okay. The, the, and Hasid explains that the animal soul fundamentally passes off a lie as a truth. The lie is the centrality of the human being in perceiving reality. And the truth is that it's not the human being that's supposed to be the center of that. It's Shem is supposed to be the center of that. Okay? So now, can you feel conflicted about the dealing? On the one hand, I want you to think about this. On the one hand, if I steal, I'll have lots of money and be able to do the stuff that I want to do. But on the other hand, stealing will separate me from Hashem. Is that a conflict between the animal soul and the godly soul or between the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah? Which one? The souls. The souls. Mm -hmm. 
But you hear like, it's a conflict because it's, there's no perspective where that actually, that actually trade-off makes sense. Like, is there a perspective where on the one hand I'll gain by having the money, but on the other hand I'll lose by being separate from Hashem? Because in the animal perspective, which one of those things is correct from the animal soul's point of view? I'll gain by having more money. I could lose. For the animal soul can agree I could lose. But what could I lose? I don't lose by being separate from Hashem. What do I lose by? Right. It could be that God is the one who does the punishing, right? But it's still, the, 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 the downside from the animal's point of view is either punishment, right? Uh, right? Like an externally imposed punishment, right? Or an internally imposed punishment, a loss of like personal integrity, which like I don't like, you know, as a human being who wants to think of himself as a good person. Or, right, the long-term effects of societal breakdown. Right? Kind of a natural consequence kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But separation from God is not really part of that perspective. Mm-hmm. Right? And from the godly soul's point of view, you definitely stand to lose by stealing because of separation from God, but you don't stand to gain anything because money doesn't, isn't the gain from that point of view, right? So the fact that a person can feel like, well, on the one hand, stealing gets me a lot of money, but on the other hand... I'll be separate from God. Which perspective are they buying into? Both. Both. So they're conflicted in their mind, right? Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, I really want the money. And on the other hand, I really want the connection to Hashem. So I'm also conflicted In in the heart. But what if separation from Hashem doesn't really sound like a bad thing. Like, what's bad about separation from Hashem? Like, I mean, you know. It doesn't actually, like, I don't see what's wrong with that. But I do see what there is to gain about having the money. That my mind is going to be pretty set up, that stealing. It's fine. Now, most people aren't like that, because most people, again, even in the animal soul perspective, have lots of reasons not to steal, right? Right, stealing is not an inherent good for the animal soul either. Okay. Um... What if you don't want money? Like, you know, you just get yeah, having money is like it does enhance life, but like you don't you don't want that. You don't, you know. Right now you're busy reading a book, and it's like, you know, it's a lot of work to go steal money. Like, it's not, I just don't want it. Like, I have enough right now. I, you know, if it landed in my lap magically, I'm fine. I take it, but like, I'm not really. I don't feel a strong desire to get money, right? Oh, but now, right, what happens if the thing in my mind that's telling me not to steal, the, the thing that's wrong about stealing is, my awareness of its wrongness is, it separates me from Hashem. My awareness of what's good about stealing is I'll have lots of money, but I only feel a desire for money and I don't feel a desire to be close to Hashem. Will I feel conflicted? No. No, it's like, oh, I'll be separate from Hashem. No big deal. Like, <laughs> I don't really want closeness to Hashem anyway. Yeah. I mean, do people do that? He's like, you, you know, it's like, it, you don't have to go out and be like an actual ideological heretic to sin. It's enough to just not feel any desire to be close to Hashem. So in order for this person to be really conflicted, right? And that Hashem's going to come, the, the conflict has to be what? They have to feel the emotional desire for closest to Hashem the same way they feel the desire to Sin. 
They have to be aware of what's bad about sinning the same way they're aware about what, for what's good about sinning. So in the scenario where the person just like, doesn't care about being, like, not losing closeness to Hashem, are they still aware that they're losing it? Like, meaning if we, like, is it a thing where, like, it's just we're, like, too distant from their reality? Uh, or is it a thing that's, where, like... Th- so, that, 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 so I'll answer your question like this. What does Alter say that the, the assistance from Hashem is? It's not to strengthen the desire of the... Of the um, he says it's to do what? To strengthen our naturally good inclination. No, but, but how is it... Wait, how does Hashem provide assistance to the good inclination? Which means, by making the connection with Hashem more real. Right. In other words, what he's saying is, well, if you're if if you're aware that in reality one of those awarenesses is an awareness of the truth, and one isn't. Mm-hmm. In other words, the whole reason why that emotional conflict can persist is because you're conflicted in your mind, right? But if your mind were to get absolutely clear awareness that in fact nothing is gained by having money and everything is lost by being separate from Hashem then the conflict in the heart will get resolved, right? right. It'll all go in favor of the, God, of the good inclination. So, so what's interesting here is, what the elder was describing is not the assistance from Hashem comes in a stronger desire for God, but in greater awareness. awareness. But there's still the other awareness in your head. No, that's the thing. That's the difference, is that the assistance is that what happens? The one awareness, the one awareness the obliterates the other. That you become aware, at least temporarily, only of the godly perspective. Or to put this more accurately, you see that the godly perspective was true and the god- ungodly perspective is a lie. Can it be the other way around? No. In order, in order you, you, you can lack, because you, can, you, you, can't, you, can't you cannot see that something is true as a lie. You can be misled into thinking it's a lie, but you can't see that it's a lie. You know what I'm saying? Right. There really is only one world, which is godly. Right. right. So the only way... Now, lies usually have some truth mixed into it, which is money, going back to the thing about money, money can, under certain circumstances, get you to do, get enable you to do mitzvahs, and mitzvahs being closer to Sam. So there is some, some kernel of truth that the animal soul can twist into the lie. So what are we describing here is we're describing that if a person, that a person is given by Hashem that clarity that the other person, the Mainini in chapter 12 received through their own efforts and prayer, this person's receiving as a gift from Hashem. But it's not really a gift. It's Hashem assisting them. But that assistance comes because they, do they let, the, do they, 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 they have done the work to feel the desire to be close to Hashem just as much as they feel the desire to sin. To be aware of the godly perspective just as much as they're aware of the unlawful godly perspective. If you do that work, that your godly soul is not on a, is, 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 is at least on equal footing to your animal soul, that your good inclination is at least on equal footing to your evil inclination, then Hashem will come in and provide that clarity in the moment when you need it. But if on the other hand, your godly soul is working at a disadvantage, you give much more credence to the animal perspective. You're... You're, you don't, your good inclination is, is weaker. You don't feel a desire to be close to Hashem the way you feel a desire to sin. Well, then 
that's your decision. You, you, you allowed one side of yourself to atrophy, and that's, that's your decision. You're going to have to bear the consequences of that. Is it accurate to say that the Benoni has got like it's gotten himself at least halfway through? Exactly. And then the Benoni that doesn't pull me through, and then the Benoni that doesn't at least far enough that Hashem can. The Benoni, the Benoni that the Benoni that doesn't daven has gotten to the point that the godly perspective of the animals of the godly soul carries as much weight with him as his animal soul's perspective. The desire to be close to Hashem is something he feels just as acutely as his desire. To sin. And, if, and he lives a deliberate life. So he doesn't just immediately fall into action. A person who is in that kind of on the cusp, Hashem provides that, that, that clarity in the moment to make it clear what, what's true, what's not. And that resolves the issue for them in the moment, not permanently. The Baini Hudavins is a person who achieved that clarity for themselves and maintains it after prayer to some degree, hopefully until the, again, before it wears out there. To the next prayer. But a person who allows the godly perspective to be undeveloped, the godly desires, to, un, not, to the, the, the good inclination to not be felt as strong of a force in them, right? Well then, you know, if a person makes the, makes the choice to live life in such a way that the side of good is not as meaningful to them and is not as real to them as the side of evil, they shouldn't expect Hashem to magically come and rescue them. And so this person is working to at least maintain parity between the two perspectives. Right? To at least maintain parity between these conflicting desires. Now this is a common problem because your average person as they become older, their level of awareness of God stays stunted at childhood. And their desire for closeness also stays very much stunted in childhood. They have a very childlike sense of God and Torah and mitzvahs. They're very childlike desires. And those don't usually hold up to a more developed adult perception of the world and adult emotions and needs. And then they're shocked that they're not a vanity. I'm a little bit confused on how the chapter 13 vanity gets to where they are. So basically it seems to me that the chapter 12 Benoni and chapter 13 Benoni have the same, they're going through the same thing. Ultimately they need the truth of Hashem to be so clear, that, like they have clarity in their mind and they realize that this, um, it says here like the folly of the animal right. soul is like completely irrelevant to them. The Benoni who Dobbins achieves that clarity themselves through Dobbins. And the chapter 13 Benoni seems like is able to get to a neutral enough space that they can get that awareness from Hashem. Right. I'm not... Exactly. Ask, yourself, ask yourself a very simple question. Desires, just on the, desires, do they have to be cultivated and maintained or, do they, if they, or, or are they just like fixed? Right, you have to cultivate and maintain desires. What about perception, awareness of reality? Same thing. Okay, so your animal soul is going to keep developing and trying to become more and more aware of the world from a, from a human-centric point of view, right? Your desires are kind of constantly shaped by your lived human experiences, right? But now the question is, the godly soul and the good inclination, are they being equally developed and maintained as you live your life? Or are you letting them atrophy from the age of, at, you know, stuck somewhere around the age of seven or eight? I mean, so there's a difference kind of like if you're 
human being is trying to get that clarity like in the physical world. Yeah. Which is there's a favoritism towards the animal soul in the physical world. But I guess it almost seems like chapter 13 vanity is almost like the vanity who Dobbins still needs to go through everything the chapter 13 vanity is doing. I, I don't is it just that you're like a chapter 13 vanity until you get like until you achieve that clarity in, in dominating? Maybe you're like struggling with it and then you dominate and then like you've got the cycle, but the cycle has to start somewhere. Like, exactly. Okay, I'm just, I'm just a little exactly. It seems like they're two different people, but they're two different states. Two different stages. Right, right, process. right. Well, yeah, I mean, you could theoretically have a person whose awareness of Hashem is just so. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see those other things, but but. But yeah, in other words, the, the, the chapter 13 or the beginning chapter 13 mainly is talking about a person who's, who's more trying to maintain and not being a rusher than truly being a Bainani. Do you understand the difference? Mm-hmm. It's like they don't want to sink into a place where the ungodly perspective and the ungodly desires carry more weight with them than the godly ones. And if they can at least maintain that, Hashem will tip the scale. But they're really on the precipice. Right? It's not a safe place to be. Right? That requires a constant vigilance. Whereas the chapter 12, baby, there's a stability in that. There's a, there's a, there's a groundedness in that. I wish I, felt, I just want to understand why the chapter 13, baby, doesn't daven. I mean, it's not that they don't... Davening is hard. So it's like they haven't it's not a, they mastered it yet. They haven't mastered it, or Hashem doesn't allow them the life circumstance to be able to do that. Davening, the, the altar is going to come back to this idea and he's going to mention it again in chapter... Tw- this is he's going to mention it again in, in chapter tw- um, 14. And then he's going to really develop how this works and the clarity of the godly soul. And that's going to be chapters 18 through 25. And, and, and the idea is that, yeah, of developing and maintaining that mindset that enables to, to kind of have that... Even though I'm conflicted, I can make the decision to, to take the godly soul perspective at least as seriously and then get that extra boost from Hashem. It's also not an, it's not an easy thing, but prayer is much harder. Much, much harder. And, and not everybody in all circumstances are really capable of, me, of doing the chapter 12 payment. 